This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to another episode of Can You Survive Deconstructed? Navy SEAL Kills CIA Officer. Let's begin. Major Ed Vaught was a hard charger, one who never backed down from a fight and always believed in good over evil. And after a long, decorated military career, Ed was happy to retire with his wife in Florida. And while a beachside retirement sounds dreamy, sleepless nights had become a regular occurrence for Ed. And it wasn't because of PTSD or any night terrors or crazy flashbacks. Ed was tossing and turning at night because no matter how hard he tried, he could not shake off what he knew deep down was true. Throughout their marriage, his wife had always taken pride in her role as a housewife. But over the past couple of years, something had changed. Ed noticed that his wife was not really in touch with him anymore. She spent more time outside and paying a lot more attention to her looks. Not to mention... She'd disappear somewhere in the house, and he thought she was on the phone, or the hang-up calls they had been receiving. Let's face it, there are certain advantages and disadvantages when you've got a really attractive wife. And Ed's wife, well, she fit that description perfectly. Long brown hair, a beautiful smile, olive skin, and features that made you think she was probably from south of the border. She and Ed had been married for almost 18 years, and Ed was still as crazy about her as the day they met. Maybe that's what set Ed on an 800-mile drive from his home in Niceville, Florida, to Virginia Beach one day in February 1999. Ed had a new mission, to confront the man he suspected of having an affair with his wife. But to understand Ed and how all of this unfolded, 
We have to go back. Ed was a native of Knoxville, Tennessee, and enlisted in the Marine Corps in 1972 as the Vietnam War was winding down. After boot camp at Paris Island, he spent the better part of his early years at Camp Lejeune, where he specialized as a rifleman. He also served at Camp Pendleton in California, again in Guam, New York, and Raleigh, North Carolina. During his service, Ed earned two dozen medals and awards, including the Defense Superior Service Medal. And if I remember correctly, that's like a notch or two below a silver star. Not too shabby. In 1996, he transferred to Naval Special Warfare Command. This is the headquarters for all of the Navy SEAL teams. It's located in Coronado, Naval Amphibious Base, there just outside San Diego. Ed's job was in operations, as a management job. He basically helped determine where SEALs were needed, deployment cycles and schedules, even manning equipment, you know, all the admin and logistics stuff that operations does for SEAL teams. And then in 1997, Ed retired from the Marine Corps and, well, the CIA hired him right up. Which brings us back to that day in 1999 when Ed rented a vehicle and drove from his home in Florida to a Fairfield Inn in Virginia Beach. He would spend the next two days holed up in a room getting drunk and trying to locate a man named Clark Stewart. Clark, a Navy SEAL warrant officer who lived in Virginia Beach, was stationed at Damneck. And at approximately 1.50 a.m., Vought walked up to the front door, and the sudden instant banging and shouting at that front door of Clark's home on an early Sunday brought a near-instinctive response from the sleeping couple. That's right, Clark and his wife were asleep. He grabbed a gun, she dialed 911, both worried about the safety of their daughter, who was asleep nearby. While Clark went to the front foyer of their home, gun in hand, his wife was on the phone with police dispatchers requesting help and watching what was happening. Or better, she was watching what was unfolding. Ed briefly stopped banging on the door and got into one of the family's cars parked in the driveway. What he did in there, I don't know. Looked for a garage door opener, maybe. He soon returned to Clark's front door and resumed pounding on it with his fists 
and kicking it. Eventually, he enters the home. And within seconds of entering the home, he is shot and killed in the foyer. Now, let's deconstruct a little bit here. This is a tough one. Home intrusion, scary. Scary. But let's start macro and work our way to micro. I think it's easier. First and foremost, I mean, this guy was undoubtedly on a mission. Renting a car, driving 800 miles. He holed up in a hotel room. Investigators said there were all these scrap sheets of paper in his hotel room that had Clark Stewart, like, scratched out, and then a phone number and an address scratched out. He, he was probably, back then, having to go through an old-fashioned, you know, phone book, the yellow pages, right? And having to do a process of elimination. My guess is he'd probably go to an address and hang out and see who he saw, right? He'd pull surveillance and then determine, okay, you know, if that was the real Clark, the Clark Stewart he was looking for or not. Um, and over a period of two days, he obviously was able to narrow down the Clark Stewart he was looking for. He probably staged out in front of that house and staked the place out and then determined, oh, okay, this is, this is Clark. Oh, and look at that. He's married. Oh, and he has a little girl, right? And then went back to his room. Investigators said there was empty bottles of scotch or bourbon or something. You know, he probably had to get himself worked up to confront Clark. There's other parts of the investigation where there was a time where Clark and Ed uh, career paths overlapped. But no real answers. You know, this happened right around the same time the internet was coming to life. And so when you try to dig, it's difficult. There is a rumor that a disguise was found in Ed's rental car. Having been a contracted CIA guy, that doesn't surprise me. If he's going to try and figure out who has been having sex with his wife, or he knows who it is, but he's got to do this process of elimination through surveillance, then he's going to change his identity from time to time. Uh, no doubt about it. The headlines, when it initially happened, and I'm paraphrasing, the first headline, the Virginia Beach pilot read something like, homeowner kills intruder. Then the second one was more like Navy SEAL kills home intruder. And then the third one, 
somewhere along the way was Navy SEAL kills CIA officer. When you dig, the why is very difficult to find. And it's probably because both guys worked in the clandestine covert world. And so my guess is a lot came out in court when Clark had to stand trial and found innocent uh, because it was self-defense. When you have somebody banging and screaming and yelling and trying to kick your door in, of course you've got to do the right thing. You have to stand your ground and protect your castle, and this is a right we all have. But the circumstance, well, it's odd. Here's a guy who obviously still madly in love with his wife, somehow found out that Clark and his wife had been having an affair. And when he found out, he drove up to Virginia Beach and he uh, was going to face it. Upon facing it, he ended up dead. And I'm sure that's the last thing he was thinking was going to happen. My guess is he just wanted Clark's wife to know what Clark had been doing. So once again, it makes you wonder. If Clark knew this was the husband banging at the door that night, he put two rounds in the guy as he entered the house, and then another seven while he was laying on the foyer. To me, you know, that's a little suspicious, I'd say. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you shoot, and you keep shooting, no doubt about it. That is training. Um, and you shoot them up while they're upright, and you shoot them while they're down just to ensure they're down. Um, it's dark. It's the middle of the night. Uh, you know, you don't know how many rounds actually are hitting your target. Um, so you went in doubt, overload, right? That's what we say. It usually applies to explosives. When in doubt, overload. <laughs> All right. The story is crazy. Its story is unfortunate. This husband just wants some relief for the pain he's going through. And boy, did he get it. Clark went to trial. And of course... It was declared a self-defense, even though Ed showed up to that door with no weapon, no gun, no knife, absolutely nothing. Just a rental car, supposedly a disguise in the car, and banging, banging, banging. Now, it also, in the reports, the door had been kicked in. Kind of seems like odd to me. 
I mean, what was this guy going to do once he kicked the door in? To me, it seemed like he was just trying to get the attention of the family and hope that the wife would come to the door so that he could just tell her the truth. Because misery loves company and he wants to share his pain. And he just doesn't want Clark to get away with it. But who knows? Once again, this is one of those moments that only Clark and his wife know. Ex-wife at this point, but they're the only ones that really know. Home invasion. Let's talk about prevention and response. Prevention. Your home and its perimeter, think of it as an onion. You can create as many layers as you want, and it starts with your neighbors. Know your neighbors, right? Know your neighbors. Have them over. Go over to their place. Become friends. Exchange phone numbers. Communicate on a regular basis. That way, if there is something odd going on, the whole neighborhood will know about it. This works overseas. Anytime we drove into neighborhoods, the neighborhood knew before we even got there, right? Because they communicate. They're paying attention. And they're sharing information real time. So important these days. Get to know your neighbors. They could save your life. Light your house up, okay? Light it up. You want that house and your perimeter to be lit up, okay? You want the bad guys to feel naked as soon as they enter the light bubble that is around your house. And it's not so much for you to see them as it is for your neighbors to see them. And if all the homes are lit up in your neighborhood, well then, that bad guy is going to feel naked long before he ever even gets to your house. So light it up. Front, the back. Lighting has revolutionized with LED technology. LEDs burn absolutely no electricity. They're super bright and they'll last 20, 30 years. And the best part, they're inexpensive. You can light up your entire property with LED for really nothing. And it is probably the biggest deterrent, okay? And that's nighttime. Then there's daytime. Daytime, you want signage, right? ADT alarm signs in your garden bed, the stickers on your front, back, and some of your you know, more prominent windows, front and back doors, screen doors. I know, it's not pretty. It's probably the last thing you want to do is stick some security alarm sticker on your beautiful home. But it is a huge deterrent. It's something they can see from the road and go, you know what? No, I don't want to deal with an alarm. Okay, because there are bad guys that are out there. There's really two kinds. There's the 
The ones that come during the day, and then there's the ones that come during the night. The ones that come during the day typically want your stuff because they think you're at work. The ones that come at night, well, they usually want to deal with you, okay? Very few burglars come during the night. They're not going to come steal stuff while the home is occupied, right? The only people usually that come at night, they, without a doubt, want to harm or deal with the occupants. In this case, it holds true. Ed came to the house at night, and he certainly wanted to deliver a message to Clark and his wife. Unfortunately, he was dealing with a guy that knew what he was doing. And he probably knew that. It's still foggy where their paths crossed and how he figured out the name Clark Stewart to start his surveillance. Maybe the wife fessed up. Maybe he found something that the wife had. And that's all kind of unknown and unfortunate because it'd be nice to fill in the blanks on this. But regardless, you have someone banging at your door. Obviously, call 911. But your perimeter needs to be reinforced. Simple stuff. When your house was built, the door frame is probably constructed with these, you know, one inch, one and a half inch wood screws. The lock set, the strike plate are all mounted with one inch to one and a half inch wood screws, um, meaning it's really, really weak, right? You have a deadbolt. A deadbolt is made of steel, and it's being holstered into the door frame, which is made of wood. Now, there's a way to increase the security by increasing the length of the wood screws. You can literally remove all those one inch, one and a half inch wood screws that are holding the strike plate and the lock set and everything in place and replace it with two and a half, three inch wood screws, right? So now you're really anchoring deep into the wood of the door frame for both the strike plate and the lock set. And what this inevitably does is increase the number of kicks required to actually break the door frame. So if you just have those one-inch screws, it's probably going to take two, three kicks to get that door frame to crack because that deadbolt acts as like this little battering ram inside of the strike plate. But when you replace all the screws, now you're talking probably five, six, depending on the guy, depending on the threshold there at the door. Can he really ramp up power to kick that door? Does he have to hold like that screen door open while he kicks it? You know, there's a lot of variables. But you could probably, it'd probably take probably no more than 10 kicks crack that frame and the door finally open. But 10 kicks, right? That's time. That's time 
on your side as an occupant. That's time for you to call 911, time for you to grab your gun, time for you to be ready once the door actually opens and they start to come in. I mentioned screen doors. I mean, these are great, right? It's another obstacle. You can put them on the front, put them on the back. You can lock them every night. It just makes it even more of a pain in the ass for a bad guy to get in. Of course, your windows. You know, you've got the bug screens. Those get in the way. With your windows, you know, there's lots of tricks. So the simple one is taking dowel rods or even you can cut broomsticks to the length of the top portion of your window. Um, that way, if the window's even unlocked, it's still not going to go up because the broomstick is basically in the tracks and preventing that upward lift. There's lots of tricks. Um, but the big one is ensure they're locked, right? Ensure they are locked, <laughs> especially after security guys, maintenance guys, anybody who comes in your home and has access to it, the first thing you should always do is go make sure everything is locked, right? It, sometimes it's those service providers that unlock a window so they can get back in on another day or night. So double check all that stuff all the time. Um, lights inside. Now, if it's at night and you hear the banging, don't turn on any lights, okay? Leave it dark. You know your blueprint better than the bad guy, and you want them to trip and fall and make a bunch of noise, okay? If you start turning on lights, like turn on your bedroom light as soon as you hear something, and then the hallway light, and then the stairs light, and then that's just a breadcrumb trail, right? And it's telling the bad guy exactly where you're at, right? And not to mention you're, you're illuminating the house for the bad guy. Don't do that. Light up the outside, keep the inside nice and dark. Cameras, right? Cameras are great. They're passive. Uh, they're a deterrent, especially if you have external cameras, um, but external and internal, right? The goal of a camera is to provide information after the crime. Very rarely are you going to have real-time video that allows you to prevent the crime? Even with ring devices that are constantly setting off the alert on your phone, people get desensitized to that because, oh, it's Amazon. Oh, it's a cat. I mean, so the odds of actually looking at your camera feed real-time and then being able to respond in the moment or slim to none. So that leaves you with, okay, well, why do you have the cameras? Well, you, you want to catch the act, okay, during the investigation, after the act has already taken place. But the number one reason is to get ID quality of the person, the bad guy, right? A lot of times people position cameras so that it looks cool on their phone. Like, oh, I can see my whole backyard. I can see the whole front yard. Look, I can see my two cars and all my motorcycles parked in the garage, right? It's this cool bird's eye view. But none of that does you any good on identifying a bad guy. You have to install your cameras so it captures 
ID quality of the person, which usually means it's not going to be the coolest field of view. It's probably going to look like it zoomed in on nothing until something steps in front of it, and then all of a sudden you got the bad guy's face. ID quality is usually being able to capture image from the waist up, and it fills most of the frame. That's going to give you the shot that you want to be able to provide to law enforcement after the fact. So keep that in mind. Cameras, like LED lights, have become cheap, inexpensive product that you can put everywhere. I highly recommend it. They hook up to your Wi-Fi. They don't need a bunch of wires. And once someone is on camera, it's very difficult for them to get off the camera, right? They are there. And then that information is sent to the cloud. They're not going to be able to delete it. In the old days with wired systems and a DVR, you know, bad guys could take the DVR with them. And then there would be no record of anything. But these days with the cloud and the devices being so inexpensive, there's no reason not to do it inside and out. Okay? Go take a look at that stuff. There's some great products out there. The other thing about cameras, when you look at field of view and when you're setting them up, is illumination. Okay? That's man-made illumination along with the sun. You don't want the bad guy backlit. Okay, because the aperture on the camera is going to constrict down just like your pupils do when there's a bright light shined in it. And then you're just getting the silhouette of a bad guy. You're not getting the face. You're not getting what you need. So make sure you position them. For lack of better words, uh, the camera's back should be to the sun. The camera's back should be to the floodlight in your driveway or the light in your house. Okay. So make sure you test all that. And once again, ID quality. ID quality day and night is your goal. Not some cool bird eye view of your garage and all your toys. <laughs> you can have one of those, but make sure you've got one in there too that will capture someone's face that's trying to steal your cars and all your toys. All right. Somebody gets in. You know, yeah. Uh, guns. Guns are great. But you better know what you're doing with that gun. You better know where it's at. You better know how to get to it in a timely manner. You got to make sure that it's never going to get used against you. Okay? That means you got to train. You got to get on the range. You got to train. And when you're in your house, you got to clear and safe that gun, put it where you're going to put it, and then practice getting to it. Lights out. Be able to get it in a timely manner. Whether it's sitting right there on your nightstand in a drawer, up high in a kid-friendly spot. Uh, you know, it's your prerogative. It really is. Um, but just make sure you can get to it in a timely manner and then effectively use it without harming yourself or your family. Remember, bullets will pass right through sheetrock. So you have to take into account the background when you pull the trigger. Because the odds are you might miss, right? In your first shot, you'll miss. There's going to be a big flash out of that muzzle. It may blind you temporarily, so then you're going to pull the trigger again, right? Maybe your second one hits. Maybe it doesn't because you're blind and you couldn't get front sight focus. 
You couldn't see that target. And this is why training is so important, okay? You're going to have a gun, train with it. Rehearse with it, all right? Go through these scenarios as a family, right? You hear banging at the door, kids. You're going to use that fire ladder. You're going to throw it outside your window. You're going to go down to the backyard, and you're going to meet at that tree that we're going to call our rally point. And you stay there until the cops show up. Or your rally point could be a neighbor that you trust. But establish a comms plan and rally points so that your kids aren't just sitting there waiting for you. Okay? You need them to move. And when I say move, get off the X. That is going to be a common theme with most of these tragic stories. Get off the X. Train your kids to get off the X. The X is the place where the bad guy feels they have the advantage. And it usually has all the signs and symptoms of an ambush. The element of surprise, stealth, speed, which all allows a bad guy advantages and that violence of action, right? We as SEALs rely on that as well when it comes to bad guys overseas. But bad guys here in our own backyard, they do all that. They just don't probably know they're doing it. Like they do surveillance, but they would never call it surveillance. Um, and how they approach your home and how they get in, they'd probably never label like clandestine methods of entry. They just have all these tricks of the trade and they know how to get in. But it's your job to have a plan have a comms plan, and make sure the entire family knows it, and then rehearse it. Have fun with it. You can pick a Saturday night and have uh, everyone do their part to get off the X and survive. That's it. It's really simple. Bear spray. Okay? Maybe you don't like guns. Bear spray is a good alternative. They shoot 20, 30 feet out. Once again... You could accidentally, you know, get it in your face. In fact, in an enclosed environment like your bedroom or the living room, you know, it's an aerosol. It's going to get into the air. So plan on, use bear spray inside, and it's probably going to mess with you. It's going to open up your sinuses. It's going to burn your eyes. Everyone's going to have snot everywhere, okay? But as long as a majority of it uh, ends up in the bad guy's face, well, once again, that's creating time. The, ken, the 10 kicks at the door creates time. You know, bear spray to the face creates time. You want time on your side. You rather time be an ally, right, than an adversary. The last thing you want to do is wake up and the bad guy is already in your face, okay? All right. This is definitely one of those stories that has a lot of unanswered parts and pieces. That poor guy went to confront someone who had been banging his wife. I would do the same thing. But I think I would have gone about it a little differently. But be rest assured, I probably would have still handled things exactly the way Clark did. You cannot take the risk. Even if you know the guy banging at your door, he's still banging at your door. He's still threatening you. He's still yelling and screaming. 
and somehow he managed to get inside. And he met his fate, nine rounds to his torso. Anyway, until next time, I hope you guys stay safe out there. Yeah. <sighs>